If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And I will begin reading in verse 13 this morning. Matthew chapter 2. This morning we will be looking at basically over and over again, as Matthew does all throughout his gospel, that Scripture is being fulfilled because our God is a God of promise. He keeps his promises. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And when he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And the Lord added his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. So this morning I will begin with an apology. If I seem too soft or too loud, that is because I have lost hearing in one of my ears for the last four days. And so if I'm a little off, please, please forgive me. And so as we continue our study this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, I do hope that you have made the first two chapters of this book a part of your daily reading, your daily devotional meeting with the Lord so that we can come together and gather together and be prepared for the exposition of the word, especially Matthew 1, verse 21. She will bear a son. He shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. We are very forgetful people, but God is gracious and he is kind and we have his word breathed out and preserved for the daily discipline of intake, of knowing him and what he has said. Even in one of our songs this morning, we sung about listening to God. If we want to listen to God, we must know his word. God is done speaking. But we have his word who is alive and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we need to abide in God's word as his, as his people, as John 8, 31 and 32 says. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. We need to have our minds transformed so that we are not conformed to the world's way of living. Oh, we have a great need as God's children to know God's word. We live according to what fills our minds. 
Therefore, we need to fill our minds first and most importantly with what God has said. Our daily struggles and trials, they are all to glorify the Lord, and this will not happen if our minds are not filled with truth. Today's scripture, it takes us back to the Old Testament over and over again. We are reminded that God is a God of promise, that a promise of a Savior would come, and he would save his people from their sins. And we see God the Father in every detail this morning, caring for and providing for his son, and in turn, providing for his church. Today's text is beautiful, and it's so very encouraging for those of us who are God's children this morning. As we continue in our study of the early years of the Son of God coming to creation to save sinners, in each step we see prophecy fulfilled as God the Father is orchestrating everything for the Son to accomplish His purpose of glorifying Him. This gospel is about that of Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Son of God, coming to earth to save sinners. There is no greater story There is no greater news. Why would we not fill our minds with it? Our verses today look at three prophecies fulfilled while the Son of God was a child. The first prophecy is found in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 2. Out of Egypt I have called my son. So prophecy 1 is out of Egypt I have called my son. Look at verse 13. Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph's had lots of dreams. It says, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Last week we saw that the birth of the Messiah had been fulfilled and Yahweh brought shepherds out in the field to worship him. Luke 2 says that these shepherds glorified and praised God for all that they had seen and all that they had heard. So what did they hear? From the lips of angels they heard good news of a Savior that was born, Christ the Lord. He has come in the city of David. They heard how to recognize the Messiah. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They heard a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is what the shepherds heard. What did the shepherds see? They saw an angel of the Lord. They saw a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. They left the field, and they saw with their own eyes the very words of the angels. You will find a child in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is what they heard, and this is what they saw. Months later, God the Father led Gentile wise men from the east to Jesus, the Messiah, to do the very same thing that the shepherds did that night, to worship the King, to worship Christ to worship the child-born king of the Jews. Matthew 2 tells of this wonderful event. When they saw the star, 
They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is the proper response of every Christian. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship the Lord for who he is. His aseity. That he is completely and eternally God. We worship his self-existence. He does not need us. We need him. We worship the Lord for who he is. And we worship the Lord for what he has done, is doing, and will do. For part of who he is, is that he keeps his word. He is a promise keeper. That should encourage us this morning as God's people. And what we have is God's word, what he has breathed and spoken out. But as we go throughout our days, we go throughout our week, Lord willing, if he grants us life, that every promise he will keep, he will fulfill. Every detail surrounding the event that we find this morning, God is orchestrating. Every detail in our own life, God is orchestrating. He is fulfilling his promises to his people, and he's doing it for his glory. The coming of Christ is the coming of God, saving his people from their sins. Jesus the Messiah was not abandoned by God the Father after his birth. He was doing as he always has been, rightfully ruling over his creation, seeing to everything. Herod was looking for the baby born king of the Jews. Joseph, the father of the adopted Messiah, had another divine dream in which he was told, I want you to flee to Egypt because Herod was looking to destroy the child. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. And he rose and he took the child with his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Joseph again obeyed the Lord and traveled to Egypt. With Joseph you find obedience, 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 and more obedience. They stayed there until the death of Herod. Yahweh was not responding to Herod trying to kill the Son of God. This is not a response. The Lord was orchestrating all of it. As he told his prophet Hosea hundreds of years before how this would take place, and now Matthew is making it clear today. Hosea 11 verse 1 is what he quoted. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now in context, in Hosea, this verse was not about Christ, but about the Lord delivering Israel, his son, from Egypt. So the Lord brought Israel, his son, out of slavery and into freedom. He would be their God, and his son would worship him. That was a picture of Israel at the time. But Matthew instructs us now that this prophecy was not fully complete until Jesus Christ is come, and he has been called out of Egypt. Hosea 11.1 is a type or shadow of what was to come, and it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Israel was God's son, and now Matthew was telling the Jews, Jesus is the Son of God. James Montgomery Boyce puts it like this, The fact that Jesus was taken to Egypt, returned from Egypt, was one of God's ways of alerting us to how significant Christ's tie with his people really was. 
Furthermore, the context of Hosea in the passage is not only the deliverance of the people from Egypt, but also God's faithfulness to them in and beyond Egypt in spite of their disobedience. Israel was God's son, but a disobedient son. By contrast, Jesus is the beloved son with whom the Father is well pleased. So Israel was disobedient, Jesus was obedient. So this journey for Joseph and taking Mary and Jesus to Egypt, that was a 70-mile journey to the border. And most scholars believe today that they remained in Egypt for just a short period of time, possibly only a few weeks until the death of Herod. But they would be out of harm's way, for Herod was searching to kill the child. King Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus, and Herod's life and throne was stripped from him by the Lord. God orchestrates all things and every little detail for his glory. From kings and high positions to the travel plans of every soul. From health to sickness, from Adam to Israel, to the ends of the earth. But before time began to the end of time, the Lord is doing it all. Even the words of Hosea the prophet, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, are found to be a shadow that existed to exalt Christ as the Son of God. What amazing God that we serve. What amazing Savior that we have in Christ. And that's just one prophecy. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Prophecy 2 is found in verses 16 through 18. A voice of weeping and loud lamentation. Prophecy 2, a voice of weeping and loud lamentation. Look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod waited for the wise men to return to report the location of the child so that he could worship him. No. Herod wanted the location of the child not to worship him, but to kill him. The wise men were told by God's words from his heavenly messengers do not return to Herod. The wise men were being led by the only wise God. Response of Herod. Herod becomes furious. He's enraged when the wise men do not return. And in response to God informing the wise men not to return, this provoked Herod to complete anger, ordering all the male children, two years old and younger in Bethlehem and around that region, to be slaughtered. Herod did some math based upon the knowledge he received from the wise men of when the star appeared, and he sent his troops to kill. Killing was just another day for Herod the Great. He had already killed a son, a wife, his wife's mother, a few other sons, and now all the boys, two years old and younger, in and around Bethlehem. Herod's goal to kill the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, 
And because the wise men didn't return with the exact location, he was forced not to kill one child, but perhaps as many as 100 children. He dispatches all the soldiers. You know, as God's children, the murder of children should upset us. Today, mothers kill one million babies every year through abortion. That's 2,739 children every day. Scriptures say there was weeping in Bethlehem that day because of soldiers taking and killing their children. And today we have women who don't shed a tear and kill their own child out of convenience, declaring, my body, my choice. This should cause us to weep. And this should also cause us to preach the gospel that saves sinners. When Jesus Christ does not rule our hearts, sin does. We should pray for abortion to end by standing on truth and proclaiming the good news of Christ. Herod loved his name. He loved his kingdom. Hating God, he hated truth, and God's children are to be lovers of him and his truth. And when we see individuals not holding up the truth of God, especially those who claim to be followers of Christ, that should cause us great concern and a great deal of compassion to preach the word. Herod's chief priests and scribes gave him the prophecy of Micah 5, verse 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epirath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Herod could not have another ruler, not another king of the Jews, for he was that. But by God's providence, living bread was no longer in the house of bread. He was safe in Egypt. Even this great tragedy, this great tragedy that happened was told long ago before it would happen through the prophet Jeremiah. Prophecy 2, a voice of weeping and loud lamentation. This comes from Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Thus says Yahweh, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So in context, in Jeremiah, Rachel is weeping for her sons as they were sent into exile. The people of Israel were seen as the children of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. The wailing that took place in Jeremiah's day, it was ultimately fulfilled when Christ was a child. At the weeping and loud lamentation or mourning that took place in Bethlehem as children were taken and stripped from their homes, from their mothers and fathers, and they were slaughtered. Herod was seeking to kill the Messiah but our great God protected him for the reason that he came, to save sinners. So prophecy one is, out of Egypt I have called my son. Prophecy two, a voice of weeping and loud lamentation. And now prophecy three, we find in verses 19 through 23, he shall be called a Nazarene. He shall be called a Nazarene. I'll remind you from the beginning three weeks of our introduction to Matthew of Why Matthew is doing this, Matthew is a Jew speaking to a Jewish audience. And he is declaring that Jesus 
Christ is the long-awaited Messiah. So he's using the Old Testament scriptures to tell his people that the Messiah has come. So he's going back over and over and over again. This was told here. This was told here. This was told here. This was told here. And he's going to do this another 50, 60 times in this gospel, pointing to his people, Jesus is Messiah. How important it is for us for that. So prophecy 3 he shall be called a Nazarene. Look at Matthew 2, verse 19. But when Herod died, you got to love those words. From the very beginning, you find Herod just completely on the scene. I'm going to kill the Messiah. This is my legacy. It's about my kingdom. But when Herod died, we can make our plans God rules the day. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took his child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called Nazarene. So soon after the arrival of Jesus in Egypt, Herod died failing to kill Jesus. And when he did, Joseph had another divine dream. Rise, take the child and the mother and go to the land of Israel to those who sought the child's life or dead. Rise and go to Israel. And you guessed it, Joseph obeyed once again. He rose, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. As they traveled back to Israel, they got word that Achilles, Herod's son, was now reigning. And this made Joseph rightfully fearful. And again, Joseph had another divine dream. And the result of that dream was that he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So now Jesus Christ, the Messiah, which, which means Yahweh saves, he grew up in a city in Galilee called Nazareth, and Nazareth means the guarded one. Are you serious? Like, are you seeing the beautiful sovereignty and providence of God just completely unfold here? The guarded one? Yes. A Savior would come, and he would save his people from their sins. Nazareth was 70 miles north of Jerusalem. And once again, this was a lowly town compared to where kings of the earth ruled. But here in Nazareth, the guarded one grew up under the protection of Yahweh. The words of J.C. Ryle are gold. He said, Nazareth was a small town in Galilee. It was an obscure, retired place, not so much as once mentioned in the Old Testament. Hebron and Shiloh and Gideon and Ramah and Bethel were far more important places, but the Lord Jesus passed by them all and chose Nazareth. This was humility. And we don't see anything less from, of humility from our Savior his entire life. This town was known for people being rough and rude and violent, and yet this is where the King of Kings grew up. If you look at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, John 1 says it all. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? How about the Messiah of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? The one who would come and save his people from their sins. Something good did come out of Nazareth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Nathanael later said these words to Jesus in response. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He was right. Nazareth was the home of the Messiah, but his people would despise him. This is perhaps what Matthew was saying when he quoted the words, He shall be called a Nazarene. We don't find these exact words in the Old Testament, but we know enough about Nazareth and the people. They were despised. Kings had no desire to be there. Kings had no desire to travel there. The people of Nazareth, they were despised. He could have been referring to a number of passages when he said the words, he shall be called a Nazarene. I got three of them here. Isaiah 53, 1 through 3. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should, he should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Or perhaps it was Isaiah 49, verse 7. Thus says Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of Yahweh who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel whom you have chosen. Or perhaps it's Psalm 22, 6 and 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in Yahweh. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Jesus was despised and rejected. He was hated, but he was the Messiah sent to save his people from their sins. So we have prophecy one, out of Egypt I have called my son. Prophecy two, a voice of weeping and loud lamentation. In prophecy three, he shall be called a Nazarene. These three prophecies fulfilled, I remind you, as Jesus was a child. Hundreds of years later from the prophets in the Old Testament. They either cause us to rejoice in our great providential God who keeps his every promise Or they cause us like Herod to hate Jesus and the truth. Herod the Great, he tried to kill Jesus, but he could not even lay a hand on the king of kings as a child. Can you imagine that? Herod the Great, the great and powerful king, he could do whatever he wanted, who could kill all these different people. He couldn't lay a hand on a baby. The Lord's will is not Moved by the sinfulness or the power or the depravity or the wickedness or whatever the Lord has granted to man. 
God is God. His aseity and his sovereignty stops for nothing and no one. All of his creation is subject to him. That's why James informs us, you can make your plans and do all these things. What we, what we really should say is, if the Lord wills, we will do this and we will do that. How encouraging God's word is for his children. He saves his people from their sins. That means every child that was predestined before the foundation of the world to be saved we, we should be saying right now, not only that will they be saved, they are saved. God will do it. We should follow in the footsteps of our Savior with humility and not the pride of this world. Do you think God is surprised by anything that is happening right now in your world? Is God surprised by anything in our country? What anxiety and concerns do you have over the things that you hear about on the news, your job, your marriage, everything? Is the Lord not sovereign over it all? We should respond with humility. Colossians 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. A part of that humility is not humility with other people, a major part of that humility is humility with the Lord. That we actually trust him, that we bring things to him, knowing who he is and saying that we can fall down and we have humility, Lord. Lord, you know. Lord, you know everything that's going on. Lord, you know everything that's happening. Lord, you know I trust you. I cannot do it in my own strength. You can accomplish your holy and your perfect will. Put on humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. You know, we have questions this morning. Are our sins forgiven? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Like Herod, we will all die. I was reminded this past week of how fragile life is. Whether you're 31 years old or 4 or 6 or 8 or 50 or 80, we will all die. And Scripture says it is clear. We will stand before the Lord because after death comes judgment. We came into this world as sinners, separated from God. The good news is, is that there is salvation. That's what we're studying. Matthew is really a study of salvation. The salvation has come. The deliverance from your sins has come. That righteousness is found in Christ alone. And Christ has come and he is the son of God. And there is life in his name. Call on Christ and be saved. If you belong to God, will you worship him? Not just in this setting. Every setting. Wherever you are. You're called to worship him. If you are his child, you will worship him. If you are his child, you will glorify him. Your honor and your adoration will be directed to the Messiah. That's where it goes. Otherwise, you're worshiping self. You don't belong to Jesus Christ just because you say you do. We need to learn that. You belong to Jesus Christ if God says you do. 
You belong to Jesus Christ and if you have been born again. God knows your heart. He knows who his children are because he has promised over and over and over again that he would provide a savior. That Christ did not come as a mere hopeful, wishful thinking. Christ came to save his people from their sins. God's children are justified and God's children will be sanctified and one day God's children will be glorified. So I encourage you to examine yourself. Is your life producing fruit? Some people may say, well, that's, that's legalism. I can, I can repent of my sins and trust in Christ and then I will never produce it, not according to God. And this is where the challenge is. It's, I'm not saying, are you doubting my salvation? No. God has said, examine yourself according to his holy word to know if you are saved. Make your calling and your election sure, we are told. Examine yourself. Is your life producing fruit? And if you know that you are saved, ask yourself this question, what are you presently producing? What are you filling your minds with? Because we have already learned about worship. What we fill our minds with is what we do. It's, it's, it's how we act. It's, it's what we pursue. It's what our treasures are. Is Christ your treasure? Think about all the things that we have in this life, all of our blessings that we have been given. Would you go and sell all of that just so you can have Christ? Is Christ enough? Is your life producing fruit? This is what his children will do. His children will bear fruit for the Lord because God's children humbly serve him. To humbly serve the Lord is to know that your life is not about you. People may be upset with you. People may be mad at you. People may curse you and try to kill you. But still, no matter what the rest of the world does, you know who you are because you are in Christ. And as God's children, we humbly serve the King. So are you humbly serving the king today? And if you've been confronted with your sin and you are unsure of your salvation, Scripture says, make today the day of your salvation. Do not delay. Do not harden your hearts any further. Repent of your sins. Come to Christ and exalt him as king of kings and lord of lords. And if you are saved, get over your past sins. Bring those sins before the Lord. Confess them one by one. Repent and serve the King. For the God who sent a Savior to this world to save sinners, our Savior will return. He will accomplish everything. He will judge everyone. He will place them where they need to be, in heaven or in hell, and then everyone will rightfully fall and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. God's children, they fall every day and they say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let us do that as his people. Father, I thank you for your holy word. Thank you for your prophecies that we see fulfilled in this beautiful passage. May it cause our hearts and our minds to rejoice that you don't respond to anything from your creation. 
because it was all predestined. Your sovereign hand is just fulfilling every promise. And we'd be thankful for Jesus Christ who saved sinners, that he paid a price that we could not pay. Father, may your children this morning respond with obedience and faithfully serve you as King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are the promised Messiah, that you are a triune God, that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and we are to worship you with all that we are, because you are due reverence. <coughs> Lord, forgive us where we have failed you this week when we bring those things before you. Draw those who are lost to yourself. Thank you for your holy word. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.